For this episode of Metaphors Be With You, we'll be going back to the very, very beginning, like the first word of the first title beginning. Hi, I'm Rob Hired of Chippersh Media, and this is a podcast about symbolism and allegory in Star Wars, the movies, the TV shows, the books, and everything else. Each episode, I'll take a topic and apply it across whatever Star Wars media seems most appropriate. It seems inevitable now, but it's worth considering why the Star Wars movies are set in space. They didn't have to be, obviously. It's been observed many times that Star Wars has more in common with fairy tales and ancient mythology than it does with most other science fiction. So the space part is absolutely added on to the core story, not a core story element itself. As an exercise, take pretty much any Star Trek story and try to tell it as a Tolkien-esque medieval fantasy, or in the style of the Thousand and One Nights. It very likely won't work, at least not half as well as doing the same trick with pretty much any Star Wars story. So why did George Lucas choose space? Well, lucky us, someone asked him. Here's a quote from an interview he gave when the first movie was still pretty new. The reason I'm making Star Wars is that I want to give young people some sort of faraway exotic environment for their imaginations to run around in. I have a strong feeling about interesting kids in space exploration. I want them to want it. I want them to get beyond the basic stupidities of the moment and think about colonizing Venus and Mars. And the only way it's going to happen is to have some dumb kid fantasize about it, to get his ray gun, jump in his ship, and run off with this Wookiee into outer space. It's our only hope, in a way. So in the first part of the quote, you can hear Lucas acknowledge that the specific environment didn't matter much. It could have been anywhere, as long as it was exotic and far away. Then he gets into his specific hope of inspiring young people to get into space exploration. As it turns out, it worked. For just one example, this year, 2019, a robot called Astrobee will be headed to the International Space Station. It was inspired by the training remote that Luke practices lightsaber techniques with in A New Hope, and it will be propelling itself around the space station, helping astronauts with assorted maintenance and monitoring tasks. So that's rad. But space was very much on the public's mind in the 70s, no doubt in some part inspired by the moon landing in 1969, and holy shit, as I write this, I just realized that we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of that achievement this year. So, pop culture in the 70s had a lot to say about space, with David Bowie pretending, question mark, to be an alien called Ziggy Stardust, and Robin Williams pretending, question mark, to be an alien called Mork on the sitcoms Happy Days and Mork and Mindy. But beyond space being marketable in the 70s, and notwithstanding Lucas's high-minded ideals about getting young people interested in it, the other reason to choose space was that he'd been a huge fan of Flash Gordon and other science fiction serials as a kid. Generally speaking, if you're trying to make something to appeal to children, your own childhood is not a terrible place to start. So okay, we're going to set them in space. But space in Star Wars didn't much resemble space in its contemporaries. Major science fiction movies of the day were things like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Solaris, and Planet of the Apes. All of these movies found significant audiences, but tended to be slow and or pessimistic, two things that cannot be said about Star Wars. On TV, Star Trek had just shown us a pretty energetic and optimistic version of space, but Star Wars didn't look like that either, with the TV show's clean white bridges and bright lighting. The things that distinguished Star Wars' space from everyone else's space were the other ingredients Lucas added to the pot, things like mythology, fantasy, westerns, and Americana. I think the mythology elements of Star Wars have been pretty well documented, especially as it relates to Joseph Campbell's monomyth structure, but I'll just take a moment to acknowledge that space here plays the part of the realm of adventure. Luke has to leave the mundane world, Tatooine, the planet farthest from the bright center of the universe, and go into an unknown realm with unknown rules. It's also worth acknowledging that Star Wars' adherence to the monomyth has been pretty exaggerated, and you have to squint pretty hard to make some parts of it fit. But one thing Star Wars replicates pretty well is fantasy. Lightsabers in the Force are literally swords and sorcery, but there are subtler things as well. 
One of the divisions between traditional fantasy and traditional sci-fi is that fantasy looks back and sci-fi looks forward. So in fantasy, you're likely to be digging around in the ancient ruins of an unexplored region when you come across a magic doodad or a monster, while in sci-fi, you've usually invented your groundbreaking doodad that motivates the plot. It's pretty clear that the Star Wars setting isn't truly mapped out in the way that our modern world is, and the characters run into monsters even inside highly technological environments like the Death Star Trash Compactor. The Millennium Falcon is nearly swallowed by a huge dragon in Empire, and Obi-Wan rides a different kind of dragon in Revenge of the Sith. And that's all not even counting some of the wild stuff that happens in Clone Wars, with zombies and voodoo rituals and such. Star Wars' idea of space also owes quite a bit to the Western. We begin in a rugged frontier environment, far away from the centers of civilization, though we see evidence of that civilization in the form of the Empire. Luke and his family are farmers on the frontier, surrounded by native tribes. With one of those tribes, the Jawas, they have peaceful relations, enough to barter over droids, but there's no real trust between them. When one of the droids has a bad motivator, Uncle Owen's line, Hey, what are you trying to push on us? suggests that he thinks of the Jawas as a necessary evil, but not to be trusted. The other native tribe, the Sand People, are apparently just uncompromisingly violent toward humans, but they do clearly have some kind of culture of their own with constructed shelters and domesticated animals. The Sand People feel to me like an unfortunately accurate stand-in for the old-time Western's completely unsympathetic portrayal of Native Americans. Even the stormtroopers in Tatooine get some of the Western influence, riding around on the big lizards called dewbacks for no obvious reason except to reinforce the theme as they look for 3PO and R2. And continuing with that Western theme, Han Solo is all cowboy, no hat. Seriously, if you put a cowboy hat on him, his costume would be basically indistinguishable from a character in a spaghetti Western. He's also the gunslinger that everyone wants a piece of, who can't even leave a bar without some two-bit bounty hunter coming after his head. And speaking of bounty hunters, even Boba Fett has a bit of Western blood in him. Since sound designer and personal hero of mine, Ben Burt, associated bounty hunters with Westerns, he gave Fett's walk a tiny bit of jingling spurs in it even though the character doesn't wear spurs or anything like them. I remember being surprised when I read about this association with westerns, because frankly in my lifetime it feels like space is the primary domain of bounty hunters, but that's probably Star Wars' influence, huh? The last and perhaps hardest to spot, for Americans, element added to Star Wars' conception of space is Americana. I'm not sure if I'm using the term in the standard way, because the concept has always been a little ephemeral to me, but I'm referring to a romanticization of certain elements of American culture and history. Obviously the western is a great big flashing example of exactly this, but aside from that, you have the romance of a man in his spaceship. Han Solo is presented as a super cool guy who has the freedom of the open road, his best friend slash dog at his side, and his own hot rod which also doubles as a semi-truck, because in space you can do anything. So Han can represent both the street racing hotshot and also the long-haul trucker, both at their most romantically ideal. And on the subject of racing, speed has a special place in the Star Wars franchise, presumably owing at least in part to the fact that Lucas wanted to be a race car driver before he was injured in a crash. If you hadn't noticed, every one of the Lucas-involved films features at least one scene of high-speed action, whether it's the Death Star trench run, the speeder bike chase, the pod race, or some other speed-based set piece. Finally, the other aspect of space that Star Wars brings to the table is starships, which are obviously a hugely important icon of the series. From a narrative or metaphoric perspective, starfighters, or the occasional small cargo ship like the Falcon, serve as avatars for their pilots to allow these characters to have agency at a larger scale. It really wouldn't have mattered how strong Luke was with the Force if he tried to fight the Death Star with his bare hands. So starships act as a sort of narrative magnifying glass for the characters, allowing them to do all their daring-do on a larger stage than would otherwise be possible. The reverse can also be true. When Poe Dameron's X-Wing, and consequently his identity, is destroyed in The Last Jedi, he spends the next couple acts of that movie trying to figure out what his new role should be and how he can help at the scale he needs to. 
Something else that occurred to me while preparing this episode is that, presumably because it allows them to fight on a grander scale, almost all of our heroes in Star Wars can fly a ship, even if it's not their specialty. Luke, Han, Leia, Chewbacca, Lando, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Padme, Poe, Rey, and even C-3PO are seen piloting ships at one point or another. There are only two notable exceptions that I can think of. The first is Jar Jar, who we never see pilot anything, but we are told that he crashed some kind of vehicle belonging to someone important. I'm fuzzy on the details because of Jar Jar's dialect. This seems pretty on-brand for Jar Jar, who is so clumsy and accident-prone that he once broke a thousand-year-old democracy. The more interesting example to me is Finn, who explicitly does not fly and needs first Poe's help to escape the First Order ship, and then Rey's help to escape the First Order. The third element of this three-beat is when they're in Maz's castle, and Finn decides he needs to run even further, but has no capacity to do, to do that on his own. So he starts bargaining with the aliens that Maz points out to him. Finn is defined, at least in The Force Awakens, by his need for others, and this is reflected by his inability to act directly in space, as virtually all other Star Wars protagonists can. It's worth noting, of course, that toward the end of The Last Jedi, we see him not exactly flying, but piloting a vehicle, so that he can interact meaningfully with the First Order ground forces. So those are my thoughts on the setting of Star Wars, the stars. Tune into my next episode when I'll talk about the subject of Star Wars, war. Should be fun. And I've enjoyed this close examination of stars and war so much that you should stay tuned after the music to hear about the other podcasts I'm considering about movies with two-word titles. So hey, here's the part where I tell you about all the ways you can talk to me and the other Chipperish hosts, but that stuff is in all the show notes. Let's just cut straight to Patreon and how you can keep Chipperish going for the low, low price of whatever you like per month there. Thanks for listening, and metaphors be with you. And now, the other pairs of podcast episodes I'm thinking about for the future. Green and Lantern, an examination of how life and light are symbols for all that is good in the world. Totals and Recall, a discussion of how good I am at doing math in my head and then remembering the answer. Indiana and Jones, an exploration of the Hoosier State and my inexplicable cravings for it. Doctor and Strange, about how surgeons are weird, y'all.